Well, as I start this podcast today, we're going to be on our last story. But I just want to welcome you again to Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Herb Risch. And uh, we've been going through four stories, and we've covered the first three. And the title of our last story is Pastor Huffer in uh, Melhausen. With that said, uh, we will start our last story. And I hope you've enjoyed all these stories that uh, we've been going through. Pastor Hofer in Mulhausen The old Mulhausen of the 16th century was very different from the present one, which extends far over the plain, its streets interspersed with gardens and factories, with cottages and palaces. It was a small fortified town in those days, surrounded by walls, now destroyed, and ancient towers, some of which still remain as memorials of a vanished past. It was an independent republic, sandwiched between Austrian possessions, but under the immediate protection of the empire. From 1515 Mulhausen was the ally of those terrible Swiss cantons, which made their powerful neighbors respect their liberties. The customs of its inhabitants had at that time a stamp of simplicity, with frank independency. The Reformation had quickly taken root there, in spite of a muffled opposition which dared not come out into open resistance. Like Strasbourg, in those days of trial Mulhausen was noted for its hospitality towards persecuted believers, who from all the surrounding countries sought refuge within her walls. More than once it had to struggle for giving shelter to refugees, and for the maintenance of its faith. One beautiful summer afternoon in 1526, the venerable secretary of the city, Oswald de Gamscharst, the priest Bernard Romer, and Pastor John Hofer, were seated on a bench before the ancient monastery of the Augustines, converted then into a parsonage for John Hofer. The three friends were discussing the grave questions of the moment. A few steps away, under the great linden tree, little Idolette, the two-year-old daughter of Pastor Hofer and Teresa his wife, was enjoying a piece of bread given her for her lunch. A black dog, whose very eyes looked hunger, and whose lean body expressed the misery then reigning in the town, looked appealingly on the child, and licked up the crumbs which fell upon the ground. Idolette, who understood nothing of the dog's mute supplication, gave him a sudden kick, and in doing so let fall her bread, which the dog was not slow in snapping up, unmindful of Idolette's cries. Then a rude voice was heard from the wagonmaker's shop situated across the little square in front of the cloister, Spitzy, you crazy thief! Come here, you evil beast. It was Michael Feininger's voice, a young ruffian of some sixteen years, who then came on with a rope in his hand, at the sight of which the poor dog crept trembling behind Pastor Hofer as if seeking his protection. That rascal is hiding, again he said, with an oath, and laying hold on the dog, threw him to the ground, stamped upon him, and fastened the rope to his neck to drag him to the dump, saying, He is mad, he bit my sister Inez this morning. Because your sister pricked him with a sharp hat pin, answered Hansel, Idolette's cousin, who was just returning from the woods with a basket of strawberries. I saw her do it this morning. Pastor Hofer then said, This dog is not mad. Watch him, and he fetched a dish of fresh water which he set before the animal. The dog licked the pastor's hand and, reassured by this kindness, drank the whole contents of the dish. Listen, Michael, said the pastor, a righteous man regards the life of his beast, the scriptures say, but you and your brothers mistreat this poor animal in such a way that it naturally irritates him. 
Michael, red with anger, answered the pastor in a tone of insolent defiance, that dog is mine, and I can do with him as I like. And with an oath against the Lutheran heretics who meddled with what did not concern them, tightened the cord about Spitzy's neck to drag him away. Her Gamscharst then interposed, and pointing to a notice upon the door of the church, said, Michael Feininger, can you read what is written there? The shameless ruffian gave a step backward, growling an unintelligible answer. Michael, continued her Gamscharst, in that decree Christian authorities prohibit under severe penalties anyone calling ministers of the gospel heretics. It also forbids swearing and blasphemy, you have violated both these prohibitions, go to your father's house, whom the law holds responsible for your conduct. I shall settle this matter with him. And taking Michael by the arm he led into his father's shop. Father Bernard expressed his fear as to the result of taking away the poor animal from the grasp of such evil masters, for if they do not dare to do us evil, he said, they will avenge themselves on him and increase his sufferings. So the wind and reap the whirlwind, exclaimed her Gamsharst, as he returned indignant from the house of Feininger. Behold, said he, here is a home in which the mother brings up her children in idleness, and the father teaches them insolence and rudeness. Master John, do not scold me for having usurped your ministry, I have given them a sermon which you would not approve, but I could not tolerate such insolence. However, I have commuted the penalty imposed on Michael to a suspension of his rights over the dog, that he may not beat him to death. Take him away, Hansel, away from his murderers. He is vigilant, and in such times as these we have need of watchful friends, he may be of use to your father's family. Hansel tried to take away the freed captive, calling and caressing him by turns, but the dog cast himself at the pastor's feet, as if to say, this is my master. At last it had to be as the dog wished, and Hansel resigned the dog to his uncle, the pastor, and Spitzy clung like a good servant to the peaceful family of the cloister. Whenever the pastor set out for Obersteinbrunn to minister there, Spitzy accompanied him, and Teresa had the satisfaction that her husband went well guarded. In the house Spitzy became the playmate of Idolette, and when Father Bernard, who lived in the same house, for Hofer and Teresa were his children by adoption, was taking his nap in his armchair, the faithful animal would lay himself down before the door as if to keep guard. Of his old masters the dog evidently had no good recollection, for he would growl and bark when they came near, and not even the pastor himself could make him keep quiet. But if the Feiningers did not dare to bark they were none the less ready to bite. Their evil conduct would have taxed the patience of anyone less specific than our friends of the cloister, but they bore it in true Christian calmness and nay. Borely kindness, while peace and love reigned in their family life, one of the blessed fruits of the Reformation, which was beginning to take firm root in Mulhausen. Augustine Kramer, Otto Binder and Jacob Augsburger preached the word of God in the Church of St. Stephen, and Father Bernard and John Hofer in the Church of the Augustinians. In the evening the pastors would gather under the linden tree and the people in the surrounding square. The pastors started the hymns which the assembly repeated in chorus. When the time came to separate one of the spiritual guides made a brief prayer. But in Mulhausen, as in every place, a newly formed evangelical church could only establish itself after a struggle. For some time, the governor of Ensesheim, an Austrian fortification near the city, had looked upon the little republic of Mulhausen with hate, excited now by their change of religion. He carried his complaints to the court of the Archduke Ferdinand, who later became emperor, and to his counselors, who shared his sentiments toward the evangelicals. A chaplain of Mulhausen who at times went to preach the gospel in Brunstad and Link, pastor of Ilsack, 
had been accused of treason and were executed without formal trial in Ensisheim. With these evil tidings fresh in the minds of the people, it was but natural that fear and uneasiness reigned in Mulhausen. The little republic not only saw itself hemmed in on every side by the dreaded Austria, but its allies, the Swiss confederations, refused to interfere in its favor. For deputies of the cantons came to promise them aid on condition that they abjured the doctrines of Luther, but if not, they had orders to depart immediately and leave the city to its fate. The effect of such a message to Mulhausen can be imagined. The majority, frightened by the sad prospect, were inclined to submit but the secretary Gamscharst's noble character now shone forth in facing the peril unflinchingly. Firm as a rock in the tempest, and sustained by the faithful pastors, he succeeded in re-encouraging his vacillating fellow citizens, and it was decided to send by the deputies of the Swiss cantons this noble and dignified answer, the Church of Mulhausen has suppressed nothing in its worship of what is essentially Christian it has only suppressed the abuses which have prejudiced religion. We have placed all our hope in God Almighty and in His Son. We have His Holy Word according to the testaments preached in our city, with nothing either added or subtracted, and this we shall continue doing. We wish in all things to please our appreciated lords and confederates of the Swiss leagues, but in that which pertains to the glory of God and the salvation of our souls, we can alter nothing in our reply, which is the only answer that could be given by Christians. These energetic resolutions gave peace to the souls of the Reformed, and when the day following they saw the four deputies take the road for Switzerland, sullen and dissatisfied, in spite of all the tokens of deference accorded them, these brave men of Mulhausen said, All that we do is for the faith, not for our own profit or pleasure, and we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Pastor Hofer had to preach the following day at Obersteinbrunn, and had abundant reason to be disquieted. Do not go, dearest John, pleaded his wife, Teresa, and she told him weeping how many times she had trembled for his life, dearer to her than her own. She reminded him of the perils to which he exposed. Himself in going to preach the gospel on Austrian soil, she told him how during the deliberations of the council, the Feiningers and their sympathizers had been throwing stones at the walls of the cloister, with threats against the pastor and songs against the Reformed. Instead of answering, the pastor opened his old Bible, uttered a brief prayer, C-note, then read the words of Jesus to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Hofer then put his arm tenderly around his wife and said, Teresa, there is an ancient tradition concerning the martyrdom of Peter that when the emperor had decreed his death, and his brethren had assisted him in escaping under cover of the night, he saw a brilliant light beside him, and recognized his Saviour who was going the other way. Lord, whither goest thou? asked Peter, casting himself at his feet. To Rome to be crucified, responded the Lord, and he added, Follow thou me, Teresa. Peter also had a home and a beloved wife, but at the words of the Lord he returned to Rome, and suffered martyrdom. Do you wish me to forsake my master, and refuse to feed his sheep? Note, it was the custom of the Reformed in Germany and France, when about to open the Word of God to ask his enlightenment and blessing upon the Word read. Editor No, no, beloved husband, do the will of God, said Teresa, and resting on his shoulder, she wept a long time in silence. Then they both knelt in prayer, and Father Bernard, who had been a silent witness to the scene, blessed them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The next day was one of those tranquil mornings over the waking city, which seemed to say, this is the day of the Lord.
John Hofer commended himself and his loved ones to the grace of the Lord, and set out, accompanied by faithful Spitzy, to Obersteinbrunn, where duty was calling him, though with an inward sentiment that he also would be bound by another, and led whither he would not. There are in life certain times when a shadow seems to hang over our head, an indescribable oppression upon the soul. Such was this Lord's day to Teresa. She first went to the solitary church to pour her disquietude in her Saviour's bosom, then went to make her usual visits to the sick and the poor, but nothing could divert her or take the deep pain from her heart. Slowly and wearily the hours passed, evening and night came, and he whom they were waiting for did not come. The alarm became general, and messengers were sent out. The night was dark, and the sky overcast as for a great storm. It soon burst upon Mulhausen, and the wind moaned through the deserted cloisters. The pastor's family watched and prayed in the great refectory where her Gamscharst came to unite with them, while messengers sent by him came and went without bringing any news. Suddenly Hansel, who stood watching at the gate, entered crying, Here is Spitzy without my uncle, and the dog, jaded and dripping, darted into the hall, whining and barking, going towards the door and returning as if to ask help. The thing that they feared had happened, then, but where, and how? That was something the dog could not answer. Suddenly, before the half-open door appeared Michael Feininger, and with an air of triumph cried, Now they have him, now they have him, and instantly disappeared. Shortly after this, one of the messengers that had been sent out by Gamsharst returned, and related, weeping, how Pastor John had conducted the morning service at Obersteinbrunn, and had visited the sick of his flock afterwards, but, in returning to Mulhausen accompanied by the guard Vincent, he was assaulted by Austrian soldiers, made prisoner, and taken to the castle of Brunstad. All Obersteinbrunn is in a commotion, he said, and, as the pastor is much beloved, they did not dare to take him back through the town for fear of the inhabitants. Teresa was terrified, and the women wept and prayed while the men were deliberating. If he is in the castle it will be impossible to rescue him, remarked Gamsharst, they will not even give us time to protest against his detention. The governor has already shown how he disposes of our evangelical pastors. He is not in the castle of Brunstad, said the guard Vincent, who, just arrived, drenched to the skin, and overcome with fatigue, let himself fall into the first seat. They mean to take him to Insesheim by crossroads to avoid passing through towns where they know the pastor is esteemed. Set out at once with all the valiant men you can gather, for you may yet surprise them. Go to the Hart Forest, they have to cross it, and with the help of God you may yet be able to snatch the pastor from the hands of those murderers. Vincent then told them how he had taken him by retired paths where they believed themselves secure, but the scoundrel Michael Feininger had conducted the soldiers to an ambuscade where, lying in wait for Pastor John, they cast themselves suddenly upon him, bound him, and tied him crosswise on a horse, his feet hanging on one side and his head on the other. The dog had escaped the soldiers who sought to kill him, Vincent had hidden in the thicket, and the Austrians, so elated with their capture of the pastor, had sought no further for him, but from his hiding place he heard their deliberations and learned the route they intended to take. This gave exact news, so, with his accustomed decision, Gamsharst at once decided to act. Franz, get your cart ready, get in with some armed men, to go quickly to the heart. Vincent, call together the most determined men, and let them follow us on horseback by another way. The place of meeting is the guardsman's hut, there we will make our final plans. Take this order to the council, let them set guards on the walls, let the house of the Feiningers be watched, close the city gates and let none go out or come in without this countersign, God is for us, and may the Lord, he added, removing his cap, be with us and for us.
Don't forget to take along Spitzy, said Teresa, the pastor's wife, to whom the magistrate had spoken words of consolation. Do not forget Spitzy, she repeated, he will guide you better than all your men on the sin of his master. Spitzy was not forgotten. Trembling with excitement, he was going from one to the other, and when the cart came before the door he leaped into it. Her Gamsharst shook hands with Teresa, bidding her to be of good cheer, then cried, Let us go forward in the name of the Lord, and they set out amid thunder and lightning accompanied by torrents of rain. Marguerite Blorer, sister of the reformer of Constance, was at that time in Mulhausen. She was one of those women whom God brings to light in times of trial, noble characters, who think not of their own life, or of themselves, when others are in jeopardy. From her early youth she had consecrated herself to the noble work of comforting the afflicted, visiting the sick and prisoners, and praying for and with the dying. She knew all that was happening on that memorable night, and when the cart had set out, she, with that instinct which led her where there was suffering and need, came as a messenger from heaven to the poor woman in trial. It was not yet daybreak, but the two women went to the chapel where a few had gathered with Otto Binder, colleague of the missing pastor. Two verses of one of Luther's earliest hymns were fervently repeated by him. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. And those present repeated after him the supplications of the psalm. Then Marguerite Blorer with clear and firm voice repeated the second verse. Fear not, Israel, God knows thy feelings. The holy confidence of this pious soul, the well-known words of the psalm which testify to God's faithfulness toward those who hope in him, greatly fortified the depressed spirits of the little congregation. The little expedition which had set out for the rescue of the captive pastor had to wait in the guardsman's hut until the storm had passed, but at the first dawn of day, though all traces of footprints had been obliterated by the storm, they resumed their march. The Hart Forest, also called the Great Forest, at that time extended beyond the jurisdiction of Mulhausen to the town of Modenheim. Various ways and paths which traversed it united in the highway of Ensesheim. Which way would the soldiers take? They surely had not traveled all night in such a terrible storm. It was agreed that the armed men should hide in separate parties, while Franz, the guard Vincent, and Hansel who knew the woods thoroughly, with the dog's help should seek the soldier's track. But Spitzy, where was he? He had disappeared, and no one could tell when or whither. After all, what does it matter said Gamsharst, the Lord does not need the dog to show us the way. On this each one turned to the place assigned him. Meanwhile, what was the poor pastor's situation? We left him bound across a horse, with head and feet hanging down, the victim of the double torture of body and spirit, and taken towards the castle of Brunstad. As night came on, the storm compelled his escort to seek an asylum in the hut of a charcoal burner, the darkness preventing them from continuing their march in paths bemired with the rain. The soldiers had formed a circle about the cheery fire, while joking about their prisoner, who was kept outside on his horse, and exposed to the fury of the tempest. The customs of the times permitted this harsh treatment of prisoners, especially when dealing with heretics unworthy of all pity. In this cruel position, his back almost broken, his arms and legs lacerated and swollen with the cords that bound them, John Hofer learned only too well what it was to be bound by another, and to go where he would not. Without doubt he loved his Savior fervently, but despite his faith, his lot seemed to be well-nigh unendurable. He too, like David, cried to the Lord out of the depths, imploring deliverance, or grace to continue faithful in his supreme hour. Near morning, while his afflicted friends at Mulhausen were praying for him, 
peace came into the heart of the suffering pastor. The rain ceased, the tempest had passed, and the break of day fell on the captive's face while his wife and friends were praying for him in the chapel at home. The spiritual darkness that had enshrouded his soul in that dreadful night was breaking, as if a ministering angel had come to relieve him of his horror and agony, as with his Lord in Gethsemane. Suddenly there was a noise in the brush, and out rushed an animal. It was Spitzy who leaped towards his master and tried to lick his face as if overcome with joy. Spitzy, good Spitzy, said the pastor with delight and surprise, while the dog continued his demonstrations of affection. But Spitzy was uneasy, going toward the bush, lifting up his nose as if scenting after something, and looking and listening as if in expectation of someone, then returning to the pastor to lick his hands. The morning was coming on, and as the charcoal burner's wife came out she saw the black dog going back and forth about the prisoner. She crossed herself and rushed to the soldiers saying, the devil is with the Protestant preacher like a black dog. Oh, said one of the soldiers, it is that cursed dog, and they went out to make an end of him, but Spitzy had disappeared. I doubt not, said another, that he is gone to seek help. By this time, the city must be in alarm, they will follow our steps and we shall have a band of men on our track. Let us get away as soon as possible. They made ready immediately, the cords that bound the pastor were tightened, and they set out with him in the midst of the escort. They had set out in order, but as they went deeper into the forest the path was broken by gullies which became difficult to cross, making considerable detours necessary. Finally they came to a clearing, the place was strange to the company, and a halt was made. Desiring to make sure if they were on Austrian, not Mulhausen territory, the leader with certain others went to investigate as to the paths leading out of the clearing. Suddenly a voice was heard God is for us, which was echoed by others in other directions, and before the soldiers had time to collect for united action the parties from Mulhausen were upon that guarding the pastor. The scattered Austrians, so taken by surprise, made but a brief resistance, giving up the unequal contest they retreated to the forest and fled, leaving the pastor in the hands of his friends. The poor pastor was in no condition to answer the many questions of his friends. His arms and legs, benumbed, swollen and lacerated by the cords, were soon released, and himself was placed upon a bed of leaves in the cart, and all returned with rejoicing hearts to the guardsman's cabin, and thence to Mulhausen in triumph. Spitzy, faithful Spitzy, came in for plenty of caresses and praise, for he it was that had guided the rescuers. On entering the city, the watch on St. Stephen's Tower proclaimed the glad news to the town, and a royal welcome was given their loved pastor by singing Luther's well-known hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. They carried the pastor into the church of St. Stephen where all kneeled to give thanks to God who had shown himself strong on behalf of them that trust in him. We cannot enter into the feelings of Teresa in receiving back her husband, nor of Pastor Hofer on finding himself again under the cloister's roof, among his own. But one of his first cares after his recovery was to go to the house of Feininger, who feared reprisals and a well. Merited punishment upon his son. What was his surprise when Hofer extended to him his hand, saying, Neighbor, your son Michael did me ill, and God has turned it into good. It is time we should live in unity and peace, and to forgive also if we expect our Heavenly Father to forgive us. But believe me, neighbor, it is I necessary for you to think of your soul and of that of your sons. Such a tender, persuasive way of speaking to the unfortunate father, who also had a heart beneath his rough exterior, had in result that he melted, and stretched forth his hand to the pastor. All went well while he lived. 
Unfortunately, after his death, his wife and children, with difficulty restrained during the father's life, cast themselves afresh into their evil way. Let Spitzy, the hero of the day, teach us a lesson. After he had been the means of saving his master and seen him safely home, he went quietly to a corner and lay himself down, with no thought of the great things he had been the means of doing. Are we as faithful and humble in serving our master who is in heaven? The Bible Truth Press, 1 East 13th Street, New York Printed at the Bible Truth Press, 1 and 3 East 18th Street, New York Well, this ends our uh, fourth story, and uh, with that said, I will just close this podcast like I usually do with God is out here. You can find out all about him in your Bible. Just uh, keep in mind some of these stories uh, and what the Christians had to go through uh, in their lives in the past. And uh, may we have faith like they have or had. And uh, if you're a true Christian, you will meet all these people in these stories in your heavenly home. With that said, have a great day and God bless. Bye for now.